Hello, welcome, and happy Halloween. If you are listening to this in the future, tonight is Halloween 2022, and this is the first episode of Moonlight Terrors. I am your host, Brittany. Thank you for being here, and if you enjoyed tonight's episode, please like and subscribe. Your support is appreciated. Now, I have a scary story to tell you. This is Moonlight Terrors. October 31st, 1974 began like any other Halloween for the residents of Deer Park, a middle-class Houston suburb. Ronald O'Brien, age 32, his wife, Damien, and their two children, eight-year-old Timothy and five-year-old Elizabeth, were preparing for a night of fun and spooky costumes, trick-or-treating with family and friends, and of course, candy. Ronald O'Brien was an optician at Texas State Optical, and he served as a deacon at the Baptist church he and his family attended where he also sang in the choir and oversaw the parochial bus program. Ronald was considered to be a model citizen and was described as, quote, a good Christian man and an above-average father, end quote. Ronald had never shown interest in participating in the Halloween activities. However, this year Ronald was eager to take his children, Timothy and Elizabeth, trick-or-treating. Jim Bates, his wife, and their two children, 11-year-old Kimberly and 9-year-old Mark, were family friends of the O'Briens that attended the same Baptist church. The Bates family lived in the wealthy neighborhood of Pasadena and had invited the O'Briens over to their home for a pork roast dinner before the fathers and their four children ventured out into the cold, rainy night to go door-to-door in hopes of securing the full-size candy bars. While trick-or-treating, the children came upon a dark house, and although it appeared that no one was home, the children rang the doorbell anyway. However, no one answered. The children shrugged and continued excitedly to the next house, and Jim followed. Ronald, however, stayed behind. Moments later, Ronald once again joined the group, this time waving five large 22-inch pixie sticks above his head. You've got rich neighbors, Ronald exclaimed. Ronald claimed that the wealthy neighbors of the home that had not opened were actually home and had given him the five large sugar-filled sticks. Confused, Jim glanced over his shoulder at the dark, quiet house before continuing on behind the group. When the fathers and their children returned to the Bates' home, Ronald pulled out the pixie sticks from his coat and gave one to each of the four children. However, Ronald had one stick left, and while at the Bates home, the doorbell rang. Ronald opened the door to find a group of excited trick-or-treaters. Trick-or-treat, the children exclaimed with enthusiasm. Ronald gave each of the children a handful of candy before waving the large pixie stick in the air and asked, Who wants this? 11-year-old Whitney Parker jumped up and down, raising his hand, and reminded Ronald that he too attended the same Baptist church as the O'Briens. Ronald smiled and dropped the remaining stick into the boy's bag. 
When the O'Briens returned home that night, the children changed into their pajamas before crawling into their beds, exhausted from their night of trick-or-treating. Ronald told his children they could each pick one piece of candy to eat before bed. Timothy could not resist the giant pixie stick. Moments after opening the pixie stick and dumping the sugar into his mouth, Timothy complained to his father that the candy tasted bitter. So, Ronald gave his son Kool-Aid to wash the bitter sugar down. Later, Ronald would tell police, quote, 30 seconds after I left Tim's room, I heard him cry to me, Daddy, Daddy, my stomach hurts. He was in the bathroom, convulsing, vomiting, and gasping. And then he suddenly went limp, end quote. Within an hour after consuming the sugar-filled stick, Timothy O'Brien was dead. Bill Lanier, a detective with the Pasadena police at the time of the incident, noted that despite Timothy's death, Ronald, quote, wasn't crying or bawling or anything, but there was no reason to believe he was involved, end quote. At the morgue, the medical examiner conducting the autopsy on Timothy recognized a familiar smell of almonds emanating from the boy's mouth. The smell the medical examiner knew was a sign of cyanide poisoning. The autopsy later confirmed that eight-year-old Timothy had consumed enough potassium cyanide to kill two or three grown men. When it was confirmed to police that Timothy's death was a result of cyanide poisoning, they sprang into action and were able to retrieve the other four pixie sticks. One from Timothy's sister Elizabeth, two from the Bates children, and one from Whitney Parker, who had fallen asleep clutching the giant stick in his hand because he had been unable to open it. It was discovered that the giant sticks had been opened and had the top two inches replaced with cyanide and stapled back together. Police knew there was a monster that was targeting children and immediately began an investigation to find the house that had given Ronald the pixie sticks. Ronald, however, was unable to recall from which house he had received the poisoned candy from. The only thing Ronald could recall was that it was a brown house, and he claimed that he had not even seen the person. All he had seen was an arm that extended out from inside of the home holding the five pixie sticks. Investigators' suspicions grew. Frustrated, investigators once again took Ronald out to the neighborhood where he had been given the candy, and... Miraculously, Ronald was able to identify the home. The home belonged to Courtney Melvin, an air traffic controller at the William Hobby P. Airport in Houston. And Melvin? He had an alibi for where he was on the evening of the 31st. Melvin had been at work until 11 p.m., and his colleagues confirmed this. This caused police to become more suspicious of Ronald, who had been insistent that Melvin had been the one to give him the poison candy. An extensive investigation on Ronald's past began. Investigators discovered that the previous January, Ronald had taken out insurance policies on both of his children, $10,000 per child. And then investigators discovered that only weeks before Halloween, Ronald had taken out another $20,000 on each child. This meant that if one or both of his children died, Ronald would gain a large amount of money, which he needed. <laughs> 
it was discovered that Ronald was in debt. In fact, Ronald was more than $100,000 in debt. And at the time of Timothy's death, he was about to lose his job at Texas State Optical because he was suspected of stealing money. Also at the time of Timothy's death, Ronald had defaulted on several bank loans and his car was on the verge of being repossessed. It seemed that Ronald had difficulty keeping a job. In a 10-year period, Ronald had been employed by 21 different companies and he had been fired from each of them for negligence or fraudulent behavior. During the investigation, police discovered a piece of adding machine tape where Ronald had written the amount of all of his bills. Coincidentally, the total amount owed was almost the same amount he would collect in the event of his children's death. At his home, police found a pocket knife with traces of potassium cyanide. However, police never found the potassium cyanide. Police were confused as to how Ronald had obtained the chemical. After speaking to a chemistry professor at the local community college where Ronald had been attending night classes, police learned that Ronald had asked the professor if cyanide was the most lethal poison or if there was another poison that was more lethal. He then jokingly asked the professor how much it would take to kill a person. Further, it was discovered that only the morning after Timothy's death, Ronald called insurers to inquire about the payout. On November 5th, after failing a polygraph and with mounting evidence against him, Ronald O'Brien was arrested and charged for the murder of his own son and the attempted murder of his daughter Elizabeth and the three other children he attempted to poison. Ronald pleaded not guilty and he maintained that he was innocent of the crimes and was being wrongly accused. Ronald went to trial in May of 1975. His wife, Danine, insisted that she was unaware of her husband's plan to kill their children and she testified against him in court. During the trial, Ronald would turn to lead prosecutor Mike Hinton and offer him a tootsie roll. On June 3rd of the same year, Ronald O'Brien was found guilty of one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. Ronald O'Brien was sentenced to death. Ronald appealed his conviction several times, but all the appeals were denied. On March 31st, 1984, Ronald was executed by lethal injection at the Texas State Penitentiary. Ronald's last words were, quote, what is about to transpire in a few moments is wrong. I would forgive all who have taken part in any way in my death, end quote. At 12.48 a.m., Ronald was declared dead. Hundreds of people gathered outside the walls of the penitentiary, some wearing costumes and shouting, trick or treat. Ronald Clark O'Brien, the Candyman, the man who killed Halloween, would forever haunt the residents of Texas. Some would argue the events of Halloween 1974 would haunt parents nationwide forever. So, happy Halloween, and don't forget to check your candy.